As we continue worshiping together this morning, first receive these words taken from the book of Acts, the fifth chapter, beginning in the 27th verse. When they had brought them, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them saying, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet here you had filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, that we may give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now receive these words from the Revelation according to John, the first chapter beginning in the fourth verse. Grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. It's a joy to uh, be here in a church that I like. So many people across the country and around the world have uh, followed your witness for many years. And then the joy of becoming a colleague with Ginger and the opportunity to be here and to be here again, I count it as a, uh, just a joyful, joyful privilege for which I give thanks. I'm, uh, I'm so grateful that Jesus made friendship a sacrament. You remember it at the Last Supper when he said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And I'm grateful for the uh, really joyful, energetic, inspiring friendship that uh, Ginger and I share. I know uh, you know what a great gift she is to you and to this church and, and to this great ministry team. So uh, with deep thanks, I'm, 
glad to be with you today. Uh, Will you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, take our minds and think through them. Take our lips and speak through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, question, uh, can you believe it's only been a week since Easter Sunday? I mean, has it really only been seven days since we gathered in this same place, sang the hymns, heard the choir, shouted together, Christ is risen indeed, and maybe even felt that day that we could believe it? But given the headlines, the stories we've read in social media, what we've experienced over the last week, all all the way from Mariupol, God help us to Tallahassee, would it be tempting for us to begin to feel that the hope, the hope we proclaimed last Sunday was of to misquote a phrase from Emily Dickinson, was a thing with feathers that perches in the soul as if it were a light, airy thing. It's not what she meant, but I want to borrow that phrase. Would it, would it be easy to begin to live and act as if he may have been risen on Easter, That was good enough, but what about all the rest of the days of the year? And as as was already suggested, in many church calendars today is called Low Sunday. I did find uh, one liturgical scholar who I think was attempting to be helpful to preachers like me, who said that the word low refers, quote, to the lack of high ritual used on Easter and not to the low attendance that is usual for this day. I, uh, Ginger, I have a pastoral colleague who told his congregation last week that every year he has a recurring dream that everyone who is there on Easter would be in exactly the same place on the next Sunday. He confessed it's a dream that never seems quite to come true. I, 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 I remember as a young associate pastor, I liked Low Sunday because that was the day the associate got to preach, which, come to think of it, is not unlike being a retiree, I'm, I'm aware. But what, what if, what if Low Sunday were more than just a, largely forgotten bit of liturgical, not just nostalgia. What if Low Sunday is, after all, where some of us most of the time and most of us some of the time spend most of our days? After all, every Sunday can't be Easter. We would absolutely burn the choir out trying to pull that off, right? Uh, Every Sunday can't be the great 
days of celebration. And, and the truth is that most of us live most of our days somewhere in those ordinary days, those apparently unspecial days, sometimes low and difficult days. So what if? What if the angels of the tomb got it right? You remember when they told the women at the tomb, if you came looking for Jesus, you've come to the wrong place. He's not here hanging around in the cemetery. They said he's already on his way back to Galilee, back to the ordinary world, back to the real world with real people and real issues and real problems. He's already headed back there. Y'all better get a move on or you're, you're not gonna catch up with him. But it's there, the angels said, there that you will see him. And what if? What if that's where we might be able to see Jesus too? So just to prove that I did watch Ginger's Easter sermon, uh, for somebody here who needs to hear this, let me, uh, let me lift a, a line from Garth Brooks and say to you, the resurrection means you got friends in low places. Not necessarily the low places that Garp Brooks describes in that song, some of you already know that. But what, what if the resurrection means that Christ really is risen? And what would it be like for us to actually see him in the ordinary places and to find in him the resurrection resilience that might enable us to live through the both exhilarating and exhausting life to which he calls us. Uh, Ginger, very accidentally, of course, left the most important thing out in her wonderful introduction. I have five grandchildren. I even have pictures, if you'd like to see them. And uh, I remember the day when our firstborn grandchild, who is now finishing her first year at the University of Florida, go Gators, someone in the first told me, service told me I had offended them because she was from Georgia and her companion was from Tennessee. But we agreed God is big enough to deal with that. At any rate, uh, Julia must have been about three or four and at some ungodly hour in the night, she came into our bedroom, climbed up in bed with us. We cuddled for a little while. And then with what I thought of as grandfatherly wisdom, I said, now, Julia, we can't get up until we see the sunshine in the window. And then I very clearly rolled over and closed my eyes, expecting that she would follow my well-placed example. A few silent moments went by, then a tap on the shoulder. She said, Gampa, you can't see the sun if you have your eyes closed. And you know, 
she was right. To find and experience and see the risen Christ in the ordinary low places, we've got to have our eyes open. And so uh, you're being invited in these weeks of Easter to uh, keep your eyes open as you enter into the story of the early Christians in the book of Acts, to see in their story something of your story and discover there the resurrection resilience that enabled them to bear witness for Christ. And today, this reading from Acts, you could hardly start at a lower place. Peter and John are in trouble, fresh after Pentecost, filled with enthusiasm of the Holy Spirit. They're making their way to the temple, and they find a poor, paralyzed man. The book says he had been paralyzed from birth, sitting near the door of the temple, like so many uninsured people in our culture, hoping, reaching for somebody to help. Peter is telling the truth when he says, hey, we don't have any money. All I can say to you is, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And I suspect that Peter and John were more surprised than the paralyzed man when he actually did. The story says he got up and ran around, caused a ruckus, and Peter and John stood there and told the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as, as the cause for all of this. It caused such ruckus that um, the power people, the kind of people who are willing to let people sit paralyzed rather to do anything that might change, they haul Peter and John into court, tell them, stop it, no more, no more, no more proclaiming this Jesus. You can't tell this story anymore. And of course, uh, the disciples go back out and do it anyway. The next morning, they're in the temple telling the story again. The, the, the council drag them back in, tells them not to be doing this. They uh, beat them up and put them in prison. Picture maybe Martin Luther King in the Birmingham jail. And somewhere during the night, the same power that broke open the tomb on Easter Sunday morning, the same power that in some way raised up that paralyzed man, broke them out. And the next morning, they're back at it again, talking about Jesus in the temple. Talk about sacred resistance. These guys had it. And the council called them back in. And when they called them on the carpet, we heard the words read this morning. They said, we must obey God rather than human authority. Now, that's called resurrection resilience. The ability to continue being faithful in witness to Christ, even in the low places, even when everything seems stacked 
against you. So, so where would we find that kind of resurrection resilience? Three quick thoughts. One, we can find resilience in the low places when we remember that we are not alone. You don't have to do this by yourself. We are not alone. The other Revelation readings during the season open, uh, what we heard this morning comes from the opening, where here's how John introduces himself. I, John, your brother who shares with you in the hardship, kingdom, and endurance that we have in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and my witness for Jesus Christ. I, I can't picture John on Patmos without remembering Robin Island. You remember that? That craggy chunk of limestone off the coast of Cape Town, South Africa, where Nelson Mandela and the revolutionary leaders of the anti-apartheid movement were imprisoned cold, isolated. You can look across the water and you can see Cape Town. You can see Table Mountain and you know there's no way that you can ever get there. And in the midst of that, John says, I, your brother. He somehow knew that he was not alone. The brothers and sisters in Christ were with him, surrounding him and and in a few moments, we're going to celebrate the sacrament of baptism. And you're going to tell these children that you will be faithful to surround them with a community of love and forgiveness. Your baptism means that you're born into this family and that you do not need to be alone. Reminds me a little bit of that, um, the opening song in West Side Story. You remember when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way from your first cigarette to your last dying day. Okay, I know. Garth Brooks, whiskey, jets, cigarettes, none of that is good stuff. The point is, you, you belong by the very nature of your baptism. And, and many of you have found that. There are people in this room who know what it means to go through low places and who in this congregation have found those men and women who surround them, who walk with them, who encourage them and to enable the resilience within them to keep on going. Remember, you are not alone too in the low places. We can find resurrection resilience by retelling the story. Retelling the story of what God has done. That's what Peter and John did. Yeah, they, they couldn't stop them. The authorities kept telling them to stop and they just kept right on doing it. And they, they said, we cannot stop bearing witness to what we have seen and what we have heard. They could not stop telling the story. 
the big story, the story that has within it the power to change and redirect every one of our stories and even the story of our world. Our, uh, our Jewish siblings do that every Sabbath when they light the candles. They do it every Passover when the youngest child at the table asks that question, how is this night different than every other night? And they tell the story, the liberating story. We were slaves in Egypt and God brought us through across the generations. Our African-American brothers and sisters have told the story, sung the songs over and over again that have sustained and supported them. We, we find resilience as we retell the story, not of our power, but of God's power and God's grace and God's liberating act in Jesus Christ. And then the third suggestion would be in the low places, we can find resurrection resilience as we rejoice in hope. That is, of course, a phrase from Paul in the New Testament. Rejoicing in hope, which means rejoicing in a promise that we don't yet see fulfilled. Rejoicing that we know the fulfillment of that promise. I mean, you're going to be looking some at the book of Revelation. It's, it's spooky. I know why people run like crazy when you mention the book of Revelation. Uh, it's been badly served by a lot of crazy, crazy Christians. But I've often said, if you like Star Wars, you can get into Revelation. You can understand it. All those wild, dark, dangerous images and stories. But if you look more closely, the book is structured around these <clears throat> spectacular moments of worship. When we here are drawn into the company of all, all the hosts of heaven, singing praise to God, celebrating the risen Christ, we, we are invited to join the song that sings of the day when the kingdoms of this earth shall indeed become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. We, we're invited to rejoice in a promise that we know will one day be fulfilled and along the way in which we get to participate. Desmond Tutu died, of course, this year. And who, who can you think of who represents that kind of rejoicing in hope? Better than Desmond Tutu. Maybe you've seen the Book of Joy, the conversations between Tutu and the Dalai Lama. Well, when the days were the darkest, the times were the lowest, the life was the toughest, in the struggle against apartheid, Tutu could face it head on and still face it with, with almost 
elf-like, joyful confidence. Uh, listen, listen to some words to us from Tutu. Dear child of God, it is often difficult to recognize the presence of God in our lives and in our world. In the clamor of the tragedy that fills the headlines, we easily forget about the majesty that is present all around us. We feel vulnerable and helpless, but we are not helpless. With God's love, we are ultimately invincible. Our God does not forget those who suffer and are oppressed. All over this magnificent world, God calls us to extend God's shalom, peace, wholeness, God's justice, goodness, compassion, caring, sharing, laughter, joy, and reconciliation. We share God's love with those with all of God's other children. There is no tyrant who can resist us, no oppression that cannot be ended, no hunger that cannot be fed, no wound that cannot be healed, no hatred that cannot be turned to love, no dream that cannot be fulfilled. That, that's resurrection resilience. That's rejoicing in hope. Remember, you're not alone. Keep on retelling the story and then rejoice in hope. Join in the singing. One of our uh, best family Easter memories turned out to be the last Easter that my mother would be with us. She lived to be 95. If she had lived any longer this week, she would have turned 101. She was already tottering around a little bit and she was sitting back toward the back of the church with, with my family. Mom had always sung in choirs. She loved the Hallelujah Chorus. And it was our practice there that uh, during the closing hymn, before the chorus, anybody who wanted to come join the choir was invited to come on up pick up a score, they would be there for them, come join the choir. And all kinds of people would, young people, old people, they'd all come join the choir. So we're singing the hymn, and uh, again, Julia, uh, granddaughter, she was, what, eight or 10 at the time. She punched my wife in the ribs. She said, Gamma, look at Gamma's face. She could see that I, I have only had a shocked expression because I had looked back there and here was my mother starting to step out of the row, trying to make her way down the aisle. My uh, son-in-law, who is no singer and no choral member, stepped out, took her by the arm, brought her down, stood the whole way through the chorus while she was up here. Uh, when it was over, she, she made up a story that Andy had wanted to come sing, and so she joined him. It was actually, the other, he had no intention of singing, I don't think. And I said, well, Mom, what, what were you thinking when you started down that aisle? And she said, ah, you have to sing your hallelujah when you can. 
sing your hallelujah when you can. It was the last time she did, but she joined that big choir that sings, rejoices in the hope that is ours in Christ. Uh, brothers and sisters, it's good news for somebody who needs to hear it today. You got friends in low places. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh God, meet us wherever we are along the journey of our lives. Meet us with the invitation of the angels at the tomb to get on down the road and there to see Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. Amen.